0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Augustine wrote, uh, Old Augustine, St. Augustine, at the very... Uh, beginning of his confessions. He, he wrote this. Uh, he's, he's writing it to God. He said, You've made us for Yourself and our heart is restless until it finds rest in You. So it's great. It's great. It's true. It's one of those timeless truths uh, that humanity's hung on to. And it makes me think, I mean, if you've ever read in here the you know Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia, or, or Harry Potter. I almost hate to even put that in the same category, but uh, my daughter is convinced that she, she likes that better than the Chronicles of Narnia, and uh, but and she still lives in our house. It's all right, but I'd suggest, and listen, that they're, they're all popular, I think, for the similar reasons. I mean, wildly popular in their own eras. I mean, so Harry Potter, seven books. I mean, it sold like 500 million copies, and I think it made like jillion dollars, you know, at the at the movie theater. I mean, so it, it's crazy. But what makes them so popular is I think, you know, one, I mean, there's magic and fantasy. People like that. They're well-written, so they, they stand out from the crowd. Um, they become, at some point, I mean, the thing to read, so you feel left out if you haven't read them. But I think the greatest reason is they end up tapping into this sort of basic, you know, Aspiration. I mean, the, the deepest longings that we have as humans, things that we all share, whether we're conscious of them all the time, whether we would admit them all the time or not. And I, the, the, the longings that we have the need for significance, the, the need to be loved, the desire to belong. I mean, so take Harry Potter, for instance. I mean, it's the story of an orphaned boy who's taken in by his aunt and uncle, but they reject him. Nobody cared about him. He, he he doesn't fit in. He doesn't have any friends. Nobody remembers his birthday. He lives under a staircase, for crying out loud. And then all of a sudden, I mean, so he's completely alone, doesn't belong. And all of a sudden, he's delivered a letter by an owl, because that happens all the time. And then he belongs, right? And it's that. I mean, it's just that. And you're and you're hooked. And then he gets to go to a place that he's special and he's valued. And, and J.K. Rowling made... Billions off of Harry Potter because she tapped in to this timeless story that we all love and it's the outcast that finally belongs. And that's what we all want, right? I mean, deep inside, whether we're conscious of it or not. I mean, Lord of the Rings, Hobbits, I mean, they're the heroes. I mean, marginalized by the rest of the world and there's Frodo Baggins with big feet and you know, nine meals a day and, and, and some sense of higher purpose. He just knows there's got to be a higher purpose, maybe something heroic even. And we want that. And, I mean, take another classic, for instance. You know what I mean? Cinderella, the timeless story. You know, and, and if we're... You know I mean? It taps into our heart when it is most unsettled. And we wonder, does anybody, does anybody really want us? And, and interestingly enough, the powerful stories, all of those, have orphans at the center. Characters who on their own, I mean, they're, they're, they're on their own, they have these orphan hearts and they draw us in and we're compelled by them. And, and the truth is, I mean, we love the orphans in these stories. But it is hard to be one. And as a church, over the last several weeks, we, we've been studying the letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the churches of, of the Galatian region together, the, the, the letter Galatians. And you picked a great day to be here because what we're looking at today, Galatians chapter 4, one theologian J.I. Packer, he calls it the climax of the whole Bible, this, this, uh, this topic that we're looking at today. Because Paul's going to explain that before God spoke a word of creation, He planned your adoption as His child. I mean, really, everything else in Galatians has been leading up to this. What Paul's been doing, he, he's been addressing kind of these two competing philosophies in life. I mean, these two narratives, these two competing worldviews, and and they're just as relevant today as they were two thousand years ago. Narratives that address these fundamental questions that we all have. I mean, who are you? Who are you? And, and why are you here? And, and there's and there's two answers that Paul's been wrestling with. That there's an answer that that these that these teachers that have come in behind Paul, that have been trying to tell the church, no, 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 Paul, Paul gave you one answer, which, which was the gospel of Jesus, and, and these other teachers have come in and given another answer. so said, look, Jesus is fine. He's a good start. But, but there's all these other things that you have to do. And so Paul's been wrestling with this. And so what I want to do is I, we're going to look at Galatians 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 7. And then we're going to go back and talk about it. And I specifically want to look this morning, and I, I want to talk about ad- adoption. And we'll get through the first couple of verses, and then we'll, we'll kind of linger in the last few verses in our time this morning. And so here's, here's how uh, Paul writes this, uh, picking up in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. and because your sons, God has sent the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying Abba, a father. So you're no longer a son. no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So Paul, he, he's going to draw on this metaphor of adoption. It's a legal metaphor. Uh, everybody knew about it in the culture of the day. He says we've been adopted. And it's the word of users. Five times that word shows up in the New Testament, and every time Paul writes it, he writes it to a Roman audience, and he and and they know what it is that he's talking about. And and it, although it appears, the word only appears five times. The concept is is all over the Bible so much so that this one guy, John Murray, uh, old theologian, he he says that this concept, adoption, is the very apex. It's the it's the highest point of. Redemptive grace and privilege. It's the greatest privilege that God gives us. In verses one and two, so Paul's doing, he, he's giving this illustration. Here's an heir, he's underage. He's essentially no different than a slave, and he doesn't give us any more details than that, except that there's this date, sometime in the future, that the Father has set for him and that he's going to come age, come to age to get the inheritance. And so what you, what may be in Paul's mind is that in this illustration, that the fathers died, and the boy he's left in the care of these guardians and these managers until he's reached maturity. So in the meantime, this this property that's that's his, but it's not his, is, is overseen by these managers, these trustees. He doesn't have any say over it, and he's and he's uh, the the essentially cared for and treated. Like a slave, even though he knows he's more than that. There's not anything he can do about it. And so in verse 3, he draws the analogy. He says, Look, in the same way, when we were children, like in verse 1 and 2. And then he says, We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, that's a big phrase, and we'll talk more about it next week. So come back next week because it's great because Paul's going to bring it up next week. But to, to say this, he, here's what he means. that There's this tension of competing narratives. On the one hand, you, you have these longings that you feel. You, you desire. I mean, you, you, you feel the, these longings because you feel the longings of an heir. You, you feel like there's something more. You think, there's got to be something more. I feel it. And yet, on the other hand there is this frustration you feel because you feel, I'm living the life of a slave. There's nothing you can do about it. I feel like I should be an heir. My existence is that of a slave. And these are the principles he's talking about. And so how, how do you resolve this tension, this frustration? And so for the Galatian readers... These readers of Paul, that he came in, he preached the gospel. They had accepted Jesus. They'd started this church. They didn't grow up in church. They didn't grow up around religion or, uh, you know, the, the, the Jewish traditions. Or there are these other outsiders, these Jewish leaders. There are two different people that are reading this. And here's the scenario. Each of them had their own ways of resolving this tension that they felt. We're heirs, but our life doesn't feel that way and we've got to resolve the tension. You feel like an heir, but you live like an orphan. You feel like an heir. You long to be an heir. You long to be loved. You long for significance. You desire to belong. But no matter what you do, you still end up feeling like living, acting like an orphan. And Paul's saying, look, these principles, those solutions, no matter how good they sound, they are like slavery. You spend your life striving for approval, striving to belong, striving for joy, striving for freedom. Maybe maybe even you'd say, I'm striving for God's favor. But in the end, it's just slavery. And a lot of people do it. Listen. Say moralism or legalism. I'm just going to be as good as I can. Self-justification, which means to be justified is I want to be judged and found approved. And here's the dangerous part. That can become a religion all itself. And moralism, legalism, those things on the outside, particularly in a place like we live, it can look just like Christianity. It can pass for it. Until things get really hard in your life, and then there's no foundation under it, and then your life, your life doesn't have anything to, to hang on to. So self-justification is really Paul's going to say it's just a, it's just an orphanhood. It's just the way an orphan heart looks. You, you act as if there's no father. That loves you. Here's, here, here's what orphans... Here, here's how they... The orphans, they have to take care of themselves. They know that. Orphans have to be strong. Orphans always have to keep their guard up, to be keep from being taken advantage of. Orphans don't allow themselves to depend on anybody. They're afraid to look weak. Orphans yearn to be taken in and loved, but they doubt. Anybody ever will. They doubt anybody's ever going to love them. Orphans want to be accepted. They want to belong. Orphans, though, only trust themselves. Orphans do not get too close, really, to anybody. Orphans feel safer. They linger on the outside, although they long to be on the inside. Russell Moore, he, he explains, he writes this book, Adopted for Life, that they had gone, they adopted two boys from Russia. And he said, Listen, we found their transition from the orphanage to our family more difficult than we had ever imagined. They'd never seen the sunlight, which he talks about when they went over to get them. So they'd never seen the sunlight, they'd never felt the wind, they'd never heard the sound of a car door slamming, much less ridden in a car. And I noticed that when we were driving away, they were shaking and reaching back to to the orphanage in the distance. So I whispered to Sergi. Sergi, that that place is a pit. If you only knew what was waiting for you, a a home with a mom and and a daddy that that loved you. But all he knew was the orphanage. It was squalid but they had no other point of reference. To them, it was home. He said it was a long transition. And he said this, We knew the boys had acclimated to our home that they trusted us when they stopped hiding food in their high chairs. They knew there would be another meal coming, that they wouldn't have to fight for scraps. You see, speaking about these two ways, whether it's religion or some kind of moral secularism, One writer says religion says earn your life. Secularism says create your life. Jesus exchanged His life for ours. And that's what Paul says here. Look at verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so we might be receive adoption as sons. Verse 4 begins with but. It's this great contrast. This is what you were, but. But. And then verse 5 ends with so that we might receive adoptions as, as sons. All that God did, He did so that we might receive adoption as sons. So what is adoption? Well, quickly to understand it. So it's different than what we might think of it. it. we adopt children, small children in our culture, little children. In the Roman world, when Paul was writing, it was usually adoption of an adult, an adult male. that's the setting. a man, he was the head of a household, the head of an estate and if he didn't have an heir, a male heir and he was um, and wasn't didn't have a prospect of a male heir, what he would do, so instead of that when he died, his estate being broken up, he would adopt an adult male, probably, a, you know, a young man. And he'd see a man, generally, you know, one he admired, and he'd go to him and he'd say, Listen, I want to make you my son. I want to adopt you so that everything I have will become yours. So the rich man would go to adopt his heir, and then these. these things would happen immediately. They would happen legally. It was binding. First thing is, all that the new son's... um, uh, all the new son's old obligations were canceled. All the debts canceled. All the legal obligations were gone. No longer does he owe anybody anything but his new father. Secondly, the son becomes immediately as wealthy as his father. He immediately gets his father's name, immediately becomes the heir of everything the father has. Thirdly, the father becomes liable for everything the son does. If he does something dumb, the father pays. Something ridiculous, the father makes up for it. Lastly, the son now has all the responsibilities of carrying the father's name. It, it, wasn't necessarily, and that's you know, the legal, it wasn't a change of nature. It was a legal change. It was the highest possible privilege, honor to be bestowed upon somebody. And so how does it happen? And Paul tells us, when the fullness of time had come. It's another way of saying that, look, there is an author behind every moment of history that has taken place. It's not haphazard. The unfolding of events God has planned. And in the fullness of time, God sent His Son, born of a woman. This is the scandal of the Incarnation. That the One who made the world stepped into the world He made into Bethlehem 2,000 years ago through the womb of a teenage girl named Mary. And in the fullness of time... God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. God became a human and subjected Himself to all the limitations and hardships of human experience. And why did He do it? The Bible says over and over and in this passage, so that He could redeem us. To redeem. It means to buy back out of debt. Because as human beings, we needed the redemption Because we cannot redeem ourselves. See, He came to assume our debt. To take His debt onto Himself. Because our debt is a debt of sin. And it was too great for us to pay. Too great a debt for us to ever... See, we sinned, we fell short of the glory of God. His glory, His holiness, His perfection our sin keeps us from entering into His presence. So we're sinners. We're stained with sin. And we couldn't survive the presence of God. The Bible says God is a consuming fire. We would be, we'd be burned up. There's nothing we could do to clean ourselves or wash ourselves or pay the debt. And so we there's not even anything we could do to ever even get to God's presence. And so while we have this longing, man, we're stuck on the outside. We are orphans. And so, despite all we may do, there's nothing we can do. But Galatians 4.4 4 says, but God did. God acted. God sent His Son so that we might receive adoption. And the way He did it, the Bible says this, God sent His Son and the way He redeemed it was He sent His Son to become who we are. And the most radical thing that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 is who we are, It says He sent His Son and that Jesus became sin. He he didn't just bear our sin. He didn't just put it in a bag. It didn't just get put on Him, although it did. He became sin. Every sin. Everything you can think of and everything unthinkable, He became. And then Jesus was nailed to a cross and was crucified, became a curse, was cast off, and died. The death we deserve. Why? Why? to pay our debt. And three days later, He rose again. And it's God on that resurrection morning and stamping on that resurrection paid in full. That's what it means that Jesus redeemed us. Died our death, raised to new life, paid in full so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, Paul is saying you're no longer orphans. You can be adopted as sons and daughters and that Christ is the one that secures you as a son of God. And then notice in verse 6 and then, then I want to talk about the ramifications of this, what it means. In verse 6, and because, listen to, the, listen to this, the entire Godhead is involved in this. And because your sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. This is how adoption happens. That we're not by nature children of God, but we can become children of God. And that's why the Gospel of John opens in the twelfth verse of John chapter 1. And to all who did receive Jesus, He gave the right to become children of God. And when you receive Jesus, it says when that happens, God sends the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because God does more than just redeem us, and He does more than just adopt us legally. And more than just pay our debts, assume our liabilities, wipe our slate clean, legally transfer us into His kingdom. You know what He does? He sends the Spirit of His Son into our hearts so that not just something legally or forensically has happened to us but so that something experientially happens to us. Not that just we are saved but that we would experience it. Isn't that amazing? It would have been enough for God to redeem us. But then He adopted us. It would have been enough for Him to redeem us and adopt us and then to say, look, just I redeemed you and then I adopted you. And he said, well, I don't feel adopted. He said, well, d- d- look at the paper. It's a legal deal. But He redeemed us and then He adopted us and then He sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts to cry out for us, Abba, Father. Which is the Aramaic The most simple, basic, childlike way to say, Daddy. It appears three times in the New Testament. It appears here. Paul cites it again in Romans chapter 8, almost the same way. And you know where else it appears? It appears in the scenes where Jesus is in the garden praying to the Father the night before. He's arrested before He is crucified and He's praying, if there's any other way, would you take this cup from Me? Not My will, but Your will. And He says, it is a cry of desperation. He says, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa, if there's any other way. She might ask, well, all right, I know what adoption is, and I know how it happens, but how is it relevant for me today here is the first thing I would say it's relevant for you today because adoption means that you get a new intimacy with the father the moment that you receive the son and so I know look i know that the father carries all kinds of baggage it may it may have a you may hear that word and you say no. Nah. I'm not going there. I have a bad father. That brings up all kinds of baggage for me. Or maybe you, this mixed for you. But let me say this. This is this is a place where God, no matter what your earthly experience is with the Father, He can redeem this. This is a cry of desperation. This cry that He... Listen, I don't know if you've heard a child cry lately or not. If not, I mean, we, we could always use some folks in the nursery. Probably in the 11 o'clock hour, even. But this is not a child at rest. I mean, it's not a child at rest. It's not like, okay, it's the cry of Abba, Father, but it's only going to be, I mean, so this is something you attain. So it's like a spiritual, you know, I mean, so it's like maturity. You know, here you are, here you are. You reach a level of maturity, and then you understand what it means you cry Abba, Father. No, no, no. this is like, this is like, at the base level. It's a cry of desperation. This isn't for the believers, you know, that have soared to the heights. not the high and speed on high places, believers. These are the ones walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The ones who, you know, in the midst of despair, whose, whose eyes haven't adjusted to the darkness of the situation, who are fighting for faith and can't seem to grab hold of anything. And all that you can say in the moment is, oh... Oh, God, there there it is. There it is, the Spirit crying out for you. Listen to a man say a couple of years ago, he's talking and, and he said it, and I, I, I couldn't get up out of my chair fast enough and run out of the room so I couldn't hear the rest of it. So as not to be convicted, which I try to do when I hear something that's about to convict me. But he said, hey, listen, have you ever heard, have you ever seen a moment and heard a son being crushed under the weight of his father's greatness? And I thought, oh I've got to get out of here. He said, you know, when the father says something like, man, son, I, when I was your age, I had it a lot harder than you. Man, I can't believe you continue to screw up that way. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? Boy, you sure could do a lot better than that. Man, you need to shape up. said, so, man, you, you hear, you just see, you just see the sun fold and collapse and his shoulders fall. He and... said, so, Man, isn't that good to know we don't have a father like that? The glorious weight of our fathers, not like that. Instead, he says to his son, Listen, I know they're frail, they're weak, they're fragile. they're going to need your spirit, son. The one that in the moment in the darkest despair when they can't even form words will form the words for them so that they'll know how to cry out. So that they'll know they'll know the language of intimacy to reach out. That is the Father God who adopts you. What kind of Father is He? That's who He is. And I would say that whatever the degree to which Father brings baggage for you is the degree to which the the, the hurt comes because you long for the Father you didn't have. But let me tell you something. In Christ, you do now. Receive Him. The second thing I would say that you receive... By the way, that's why J.I. Packer calls it the highest privilege the gospel offers. The second thing is you you, you get a new family. Christ becomes your elder brother. Not only do you get the intimacy of the father, Jesus becomes your elder brother. And and I know this. I don't have an older brother. I was the older brother. There, There are older brothers hard to live up to. I wasn't that one. Okay? But I know that. I mean, some of you have older brothers. You go, well, that doesn't sound very... I mean, Jesus. I mean, for crying out loud, that's, I mean, that's kind of a tough act to follow. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the brother that came to rescue you. See, receiving adoption, it's, it's not you're not just a successor in the family line. You are. You're, exce- you're, you're receiving everything that the adoptee has for you and, and you get everything he has. God is the Father and Jesus says, your brother, she's new dignity, new relation, a new, a new family with a new history and a new purpose. And there's something distinctly different about this adoption. So human parents, as they adopt, listen, they can bestow love, resources, inheritance, but they can't. So there's these distinct characteristics that that adoptive parents can't bestow upon their adoptive child. But God miraculously is able to give His own nature because as He adopts you, He bestows you with the Spirit of His Son, Jesus, and is conforming you into His likeness. And you are more and more and more growing into the resemblance of your older brother. Maggie, my oldest daughter, when she was in the first grade. She's eight years older than my youngest daughter, Catherine. And so she's in the first grade. We're in Wichita, Kansas, and um, it's before Catherine was born. It's in fact, before Catherine was ever even a thought, actually. And so she's in the first grade, and in first grade, they were giving her this writing prompt. She's sitting there in school, and they, they give her a writing prompt, you know, that they do, and so she's supposed to write this thing, draw a picture, and then write the thing. And we just found it this weekend. We were going through some old stuff and found this thing. And thought, oh, my gosh, this is, this is so great. So we're going to frame it and auction it um, s- starting at $1,000. Johnny, you can put that up there. So starting at $1,000, um, the silent auction, so don't, you know, don't worry about that. But here, here's the writing prompt. It says, imagine that you could follow a rainbow to its end. Write about what you would find there. Here's what she says. I would find a little sister because I really, really want one. And I want her to look just like me. I don't know if you've seen my two daughters, but they look just like each other. And you know why? Because they're sisters. That's what they do. You know what Jesus says? One little brother, one little sister. I want Him to look just like me. And He came for you. Well, the last thing I would say, and this is where I want to spend just a minute. And this is where you you might not expect me to go on an Easter Sunday, okay? Okay? Listen, you have a new intimacy with the Father. You can cry out, I'm a father. And Jesus, your brother, came for you. And and I want to say this. Here's the third great privilege that begins right now when you receive Christ. Receive adoption and be become a child of God. And this, I think, is maybe the most important of all of them. And particularly if you're a skeptic in here this morning. Because if I don't deal with this, you, you would question my intellectual honesty here today. And so I would phrase it like this. You receive a new purpose that, and I would say it this way, that eliminates... Looking to earth for your security. And I want to tell you why that's so important. Because see, here on a Sunday morning, man, we can talk about man the intimacy with God. And that is phenomenal. And that is, that is precious treasure. And that Jesus, our brother, rescued us. And we're being conformed into His likeness. And that, that is glorious. But there is this reality that you would say, you know what, listen. I get it. I mean, adopted. And that sounds great. And that's inspiring. But... Man, life is really hard right now. And you know, the reality is there's a lot of pain and suffering, if we're honest. And most of us, most of us spend a lot of time consumed with, man, how do we make this pain go away? Like, I'd give anything. Anything. I just make it go away. To which I would say, I think this is the greatest privilege of all. It doesn't have to go away. And I'm going to tell you why. It's going to take me one minute to do it. So I want you to hang with me because Paul is as honest as he can be here and as hopeful as he can ever gets. He says at the end of verse 7 here, we're sons and heir, and heir through God. Which means we we have a future and we have a hope, we have a a joy, and he's going to say essentially... The same thing over in Romans chapter eight. It's phenomenal. The same thing he's there, he says, Listen, we're heirs of God, not just what God promises, but of God Himself. But then he he speaks to this tension. He says in Romans eight, the middle of Romans eight, eight fifteen, he says, So we didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Because he knows. But you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, whom we cry, Abba, Father. He says it again there. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Listen, you don't ever become any more of an heir. You are an heir. You've received it. Done deal. Can't be any more true. And then he says a couple of verses later, listen to this. He's talking about creation because he knows, listen, there's a day coming. Jesus will come back. And when he comes back, and the world's going to be made new. And we're going to be made new. And every tear gets wiped away. Now we get a resurrection and we get new bodies fit Forever. And creation's longing for that day. And he says, And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. On the one hand, you've received it. A done deal. Can't be any more true. On the other hand, we groan inwardly and we wait for it. And it's an acknowledgement that what we already have been given we have not yet fully received. And I think what he's saying as you put these things together is this Abba Father, the Spirit of the Son comes to us and cries from the heart and helps us to eagerly anticipate a day when we will live on a new earth, glorified as sons of God forever, and the Spirit of God is the down payment of a future, of a salvation that's complete. And this deep groaning in our hearts for this final deliverance helps us to live with meaning now. It's a groaning that fuels a hope now so we don't get wrapped up in our own pain, but we are able to be absorbed with what the future holds. We can experience a longing instead of it bringing frustration. Because we can be confident and secure and assured knowing the promise of Jesus. I'll never leave you and never forsake you because His very Spirit has been sent to our hearts to indwell us it's so with this viewpoint that throws this shadow on what the world has to offer. We don't have to turn to the world for comfort. We have it. C.S. Lewis said it this way, "...our heavenly Father's provided many delightful ends for us along the way on the journey, but He takes great care to see we don't mistake any of them for home. There's this longing for home, a deep call in the human spirit for more than life can provide, an itch that we cannot scratch, and it's a part of God's plan." It was when I was happiest that I longed the most. The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to find the place where all the beauty came from. And in Romans, in the middle of those two tensions, he said, We're heirs, we long for our adoption. and our our future glory is magnified by our suffering now. And you say, wait a minute, I didn't sign up. I don't want to sign up for suffering. And I say, well, you don't get that choice. You, You came out of the womb crying. The Bible says that God allows suffering to come into our lives and uses it. Even uses it. And that our Abba Father uses it to strengthen our hope. It doesn't give us all the answers to suffering. But now you're not without hope. You're not alone. You don't have to wonder or worry. Has God left? Because you know He hasn't. I think there's something so profound about a spiritual person. A spirit of the Son indwelt person that endures suffering. And I don't mean they do it perfectly. Oh, no. But they do it in such a way that God's grace is on such magnificent display. The man you can't, can't help but just almost bow and worship at what God is doing. Because there's meaning to come. I'll tell you. I'll share this with you. I, I lost a such a dear friend this week. And uh, it, has, it has been a heavy thing for me. Which maybe is why I'm feel like I want to be honest with you about the tension. Um, And, man, they loved the Lord. And I'll tell you, I don't know what they would have done otherwise. And they would never have chosen it. I'll tell you, they would have never chosen the suffering, even up to, to last Thursday. But I'll tell you this, they wouldn't trade it. friend wrote about his wife. As many of you know, Cindy will spend this Easter actually with the Savior. That's true. And there will be a day that we all will spend everyone every day. On the final page, I'll bring it back to the beginning. The final page of the final book of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Some of the children, they've been in Narnia, they 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 come and they and, and then the Aslan, the lion, sends them back, and they never want to go back to their homeland, and the homeland's called the Shadowlands. But in the last page of the last book, Aslan, the the lion who represents Jesus, has the best news of all for them. So he speaks to the children. He says, you do not yet look so happy as I mean for you to be. And Lucy said, well, we're just so afraid of being sent away, Aslan. And you've sent us back into our own world so often. He says, no fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? And their hearts leaped and a wild hope rose within them. Well, there was a railway accident, he said, and your father and mother and all of you is as you used to call it in the shadow lands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This this is mourning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the, the things that began to happen afterward are so great and beautiful that I cannot write them down. And as for us, this is the end of all the stories, and We can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one. Let me tell you something. This is why your brother Jesus came to redeem you from your slavery, to ad- so you would receive adoption from the Father, and be able to cry to Him in the most intimate name, Abba. If you have not received Him, please consider the claims of who He is before you leave this morning invite you to trust Him with your life today. There'll be some guys up front this morning. If you want to talk to somebody, come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you. And If you've got questions, come ask them. We'd love to do that. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You for the morning, for the time, for Your Son, Jesus, that You sent Him You gave up Your Son that we would become sons and daughters. Father, that's overwhelming. And then You've sent the Spirit of Your Son to our hearts that we'd know You intimately. Be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Father, Not just for the future out there, but a meaning now. Father, I pray you grant us faith to believe it. We ask this the only way we can. In the name of your Son, Jesus. By the power of your Spirit. Amen.